Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking women and weights. Welcome to the Women and Weights Extravaganza, episode number 89 of the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast. Very exciting, Nicole. <laughs> all right. Come people. on. Let's have a little bit of fun today, Daron. This is all today, about the ladies. We are talking about the importance of women in the weight room. And I think most often we see women doing cardio rather than lifting weights. I think the trend seems to have shifted and more and more women are lifting weights and we would like to continue to encourage women to lift weights. So we're going to talk about some of the misconceptions around women and exercise, as well as some of the benefits of weightlifting and why you should do it. Nicole, I think the first thing, since we mentioned uh, women and cardio, Mm-hmm. I think we should start off by talking about cardio or excessive cardio, which is something that we often see. The cardio bunnies you are describing. And we do see this sometimes in men. Yeah. But oftentimes we see it in women. And I think that there's this backwards thought process around doing cardio. And if I want to lose weight, I need to do cardio. And that's pretty much that's where it stops. Yeah. It's all about calories burned is, I think, the biggest misconception in that. Yeah. And like we've talked about, uh, calories burned, how do you have no gauge on really how many calories you're burning when you're working out anyway. And the benefits of exercise, they go way beyond the calorie effects of Mm -hmm. like, yeah, sure. Energy in versus energy out is a big piece of the equation. I'm not going to take away from that. It's a very big piece of the equation, but metabolic activity and creating a metabolically favorable environment is also a huge piece of the equation and creating a hormonally favorable environment is also a huge piece of the equation and increasing mitochondrial density is also a big piece of the equation. These are things that you get as benefits from doing cardio, but when we're excessively doing cardio and by excessively doing cardio, I mean too much or too frequently at high intensity, Mm -hmm. because Nicole, as you and I talk about doing one to two days a week of high intensity interval training or one to two days a week of any type of high intensity cardio or activity is enough. Yeah. And when you're overdoing it and you're excessively doing cardio, you've got adverse effects that are occurring in your body, right? That kind of backfires on you and you end up with a weakened immune system. Mm -hmm. You end up with delayed recovery Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you end up with uh, severe DOMS, which is delayed onset muscle soreness, and you are sore for prolonged periods of time. And you t- typically can look at that and say, I-, I think oftentimes people look at that and say, okay, well, I'm really sore, so I must have done a good job and, and done a great workout. Yes. And I look at it and I say, well, you're really sore for a really long time. And that means that you're not recovering. So either you're underfed or you're overtrained or you're both. Yeah. 
And then you end up with loss of muscle, which is metabolically advantageous to have muscle. So if you're losing muscle, you're actually reducing or lowering your basal metabolic rate, which is also going to backfire on you because now you're burning less calories in a day when you're just sitting around on the couch doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, The other things are excessive cardio is going to stimulate your appetite. You're going to be hungry all the time. Yeah, that's a big one. It's huge. And listen, I will say there are some cases where if you're severely under eating, you probably, and we've talked about this in in the last episode when we talked about biofeedback, mm-hmm. you will potentially get to a point where you reduce your appetite and just eliminate your appetite altogether. Yeah. So that's another thing to look out for in another extreme. And then fatigue, right? Your mm-hmm. energy levels are down. Your energy levels are low. You're nutrient depleted. You know, I mean, we've seen things with people that under eat and over exercise and they start losing hair. Their skin doesn't look too great. Yeah. Right. You just don't look healthy. And I think the goal around fitness and nutrition and health and wellness is look your best, feel your best and perform your best and mm-hmm. just be functioning optimally, whether that be your brain function, your physical function, your cardiovascular function, your strength uh, and all of the things associated with you're the, a day in the life of a fitness enthusiast. Yeah. You don't want to wear you're, If you're exercising to the point where you're wearing yourself out, that when you finish, you, you feel worse than when you started. That's probably not the most optimal way to handle it. Well, oftentimes I think the thought process is, well, I, I feel bad, but I, I look good. Well, yes, that's a good point. But I feel like, you know, you look good maybe for a short period of time but the not feeling good will eventually take over. The other thing I would add to that list is getting sick. You know, a lot of the times if, you know, you said weakened immune system, sometimes you can have a weakened immune system and it not really, it it manifests as tired and hungry and, you know, not recovering. But I have had a lot of female clients that will have all of those things. Then eventually they'll keep getting like the common cold or they'll, you know, feel like they can't get out of bed for a day or two. Like, you definitely can push too hard and wear yourself down. And then all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, you won't feel well for a couple of days and you won't really know why. And I think it's, you know, just something to pay attention to. Yeah. And listen, when we talk about weakened immune system, you have a few things going on, right? I can talk about Mm -hmm. it from a a gut standpoint and things starting in the gut. If you're stressed out, that is shown both physical and mental stress is shown to have effects on your immune system through the microbial composition in your gut Mm -hmm. and vice versa. If the microbial composition in your gut is thrown off or the balance, or you have dysbiosis that affects your stress. So you end up in this vicious cycle of, I'm stressed out. So my gut bacteria is imbalanced and my gut bacteria is imbalanced. So that's causing more mental and physical stress and wreaking havoc on my body. So you look at it from two standpoints, wherever it started, doesn't really matter. You just have to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to solve this problem? And typically solving that problem looks like, all right, well, we need to reduce some stressors for you. Mm -hmm. It's like, we talk about the stress cup. You have a cup full of water and you're filling it up with all different stressors. You have financial stress, you have uh, stress with your spouse, you have relationships with your friends and that's stressful for you. You have job stress, you have physical stress through the gym. If that cup is overflowing, you need to solve the problem of the stressors. And typically what I say is, Hey, if the exercise is uh, too stressful in nature, 
then we need to back off exercise in in and of itself. And oftentimes I don't think that people acknowledge this or think about it is that exercise in and of itself is a stress. Yeah, it's a good stress, though, because when and we'll talk about this in a moment, when we talk about the adaptations to exercise and we talk about uh, the hormetic response to exercise, where it's a it's a small stress inoculation that is enough to create more resilience that's positive, but anything in excess or any stressor in excess is going to be a negative. I mean, I can look at it from this standpoint. Alcohol is considered to induce this type of hormetic response. Like if you drink a glass of red wine, that's supposed to be good for your heart. It's good for your cardiovascular system, right? That's going to make you more resilient with the antioxidants that are in it, the, with the alcohol and, and small doses of alcohol over periods of time. But if you binge drink, then that's going to have detrimental or harmful effects on your health. So the same thing goes for exercise. Mm -hmm. Exercise is good for you and it will build a strong, resilient body, but you have to use it properly. Yeah. Oh, building little by little over time instead of throwing yourself up against the wall and getting no results. So since we're on the topic of cardio, I guess we're going to continue down that path of cardio. Okay. Some misconceptions around cardio and fat loss. <laughs> I love the way you say that. Some misconceptions around cardio and fat loss, which is? Which is cardio is the best way to lose fat and cardio burns more calories. Wrong on both marks. So I'll say from a long-term strategy, and if we're looking at taking weight off and keeping weight off, cardio is not the best way to lose fat. The best way to lose fat is to do resistance training, couple it with some cardio and, you know, just kind of have a well-balanced plan, but resistance training needs to be in that plan because like we always talk about increasing muscle increases your BMR mm -hmm. and increasing your BMR, that's 60% of your total daily energy expenditure. So if, if that's one thing that you have control over kind of, sort of, right, it's, it's more or less set pretty much based on your weight, but the more muscle you have, that's, that's the piece of it that you can control, right? There are multiple different factors that affect your basal metabolic rate. One of them being hormones. Uh, one of them, you know, if you're stressed out, obviously that's going to affect your basal metabolic rate. If you're not sleeping enough, that's going to affect your BMR. Um, but overall, the biggest thing that long-term is in your control in terms of your basal metabolic rate is how much muscle you have. And the more muscle you have, the higher your basal metabolic rate, the more calories you burn in a day. So it's more efficient to do resistance training in order to uh, lose body fat in the long run because you're able to burn more calories. If you're not, and you're just doing cardio, what's going to happen is you're going to end up what we in the industry call skinny fat, mm -hmm. where you are skinny and you have a high percentage of body fat. And the reason why you're skinny and you have a high percentage of body fat is because you don't, you don't have enough muscle. So the lean tissue to fat tissue ratio is thrown off by the fact that you just don't have enough lean tissue. So building lean mass is going to be the most appropriate way to take this action. And I think this is kind of becoming a overall for everyone episode, mm -hmm. but I really want to emphasize that. I think this is something that I often see in women and it's going to be more beneficial for you to be in the weight room. Yeah. Well, for women, I'll say this. So a skinny, skinny fat for women is just a smaller version of what their frame and figure look like, right? So if I'm 150 pounds and I want to weigh 120 pounds, which is pretty much what women come in and say they want their goal, like that's a goal for them. They just want to lose weight. And in their mind, 
weight is just the number on the scale. And quite frankly, a lot of them will come in and not really care whether it's water weight, fat weight, or muscle. They just want to be the number, which is just that skinnier version of themselves. So their physique won't really change. They're just smaller. So if you have a woman that's petite on top and a little curvier on the bottom, and she weighs 150 pounds and she just loses weight, she'll still be skinny on the top and curvy on the bottom, just a smaller version of that figure. Does that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but the ratios are going to be the same of muscle to fat. Well, that's my point. So she's just a smaller version of that ratio. Now, someone that is coming in that is looking for physique change, which is what we're trying to talk about in this episode too, and change the mindset of females is that it's not just about creating a smaller size or, or, you know, number on the scale. It's really about rebuilding the framework of your body through resistance training. So a lot of the times women will come into me and say they want their waistline to look smaller. And I always say to them, your waistline is actually perfectly proportioned to your body. How about we build a bigger back so that your waistline looks smaller or your can't change the curve in your hip. That's the size of your bone structure of your hip. How about we build a broader shoulders or bigger shoulders? And when I say the word bigger, you know, I'm sure everybody's gasping hearing that. I just mean more fuller figure so that you actually look more proportion to the area of your body that may be a little bit more curvy. So when a lot of women will come in trying to make things smaller instead of building the physique around if they have curvy hips or they have a nice broad back and then working around that to make that shoulders, skinny waist, curvy hips, evenly proportioned body. You have that kind of what we'd refer to in bodybuilding is that X frame, yes, right? Where your body's yes. an X, right? It's bigger up yes. top and then it, co- it comes all the way in. You have, a, it looks like you have a smaller waist and then your legs ha- yes. actually have some meat on them. Right. So, yeah. and listen, I, I look at this as a, as a guy and I'm like, well, I would rather look at, I'd rather the woman be 150 pounds and change their composition and yes. be thicker than be 120 pounds. Like it's, it's just, it's not even, I don't know. Is there any guy attracted to that? Like, I don't yes, know where, course, I don't know why we have this, this culture around. I feel like it's number. an old, I feel like it's an old school thought process. It's like an old magazine model. Like I just, does anybody want to look like, I feel like strong is the look that people want nowadays. Well, I think it's, well, this is why I'm loving this episode. I think that it is absolutely coming further and further along. Women are understanding how to utilize their body to be strong and they're understanding about building a physique, keyword being building, not shrinking down to a smaller size to create a physique that they look at and want, but they think they think that I have to get to a certain number on the scale in order to get that physique instead of building their body up and their physique up. And up doesn't necessarily mean a bigger number, meaning gaining weight. It just means taking the same 150 pounds and changing the composition of that 150 pounds. And in the process of doing that, you may shave off a couple of pounds or create more muscle and less fat within that same 150 pound structure. Women are starting to understand that it's it's come along because women are now coming in and asking, I want to be able to do pull-ups. I want to be able to do bench press. I want to be able to get a PR for my deadlift. The dialogue is changing. And I'll tell you this, walking into the gym and seeing, you know, all the, the, the platforms for squat, the squat racks all filled with like kick-ass powerhouse women. I can't tell you how awesome and empowering that is 
for me to walk into the gym and see. And, you know, I'm waiting to get on a platform now and it's not just guys. That's freaking amazing. So I think it is moving in the right direction. I still think there are a lot of there's room uh, for improvement. There's definitely some room yeah, for growth there. Absolutely. And and the understanding as to why is part of what we're talking about today, too. I think eating less is so ingrained in our brain. If we eat less, we become smaller. Like that's the correlation to Well, we need to eat more and get stronger. Yeah. And but you also have to eat more to build muscle to be able to create the frame you want, even if that frame is smaller. Like you aren't going to be able to do that just cutting calories. It's not that one piece. There's so many other factors. Oh, and there's cycles to your training and we'll get into that. Um, But I also want to talk about the next misconception that we brought up, Nicole, is the uh, cardio burns more calories. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's technically correct that cardio does burn more calories. Cardio burns more calories while you're doing the activity, right? So you'll burn more calories doing cardio than doing resistance training in that given activity. But if we know anything from post-exercise oxygen consumption is that the recovery from a workout that is a resistance training workout uh, is going to last you a lot longer. So when you do cardio, maybe like half 30 minutes to an hour after you stop doing cardio, you're going to stop burning calories. And the 24 hours after you're doing resistance training, you're continuously burning calories. So I will say for new, for people who are new, and this is where the research kind of shows that for people who are new to exercise, you actually end up netting more calories when you are doing resistance training than when you're doing cardio because of that. Mm -hmm. But then for people who have been working out for a while, let's say you've been working out for a year, year and a half, two years, you basically end up burning pretty much the same amount of calories. So when you're equating for calories during your workout, you also have to think about, okay, well, what's going on in my body post-workout? And how am I continuing to burn calories? Because when you're, like I said, when you're doing cardio, when you stop doing that exercise, you're done burning calories. When you're doing resistance training, you're continuously burning calories over a period of time. If it nets the same, it nets the same, but it's not that even still, that's not saying that cardio is more superior to burning fat. Now, I think a combination of two things, like we always talk about is when you're doing resistance training, I don't think that's enough. You need to also focus on getting in your steps because that builds metabolic efficiency and increases insulin sensitivity. Uh, And there's so many positive aspects to just walking and getting your steps in or potentially looking at it in terms of time, right? You can look at your cardio in any way. You could look at it in number of steps. You can look at it in number of sessions per week. You can look at it in, okay, I'm doing 20 minute blocks. Now I'm increasing to 30 minute blocks, low intensity cardio. And then what I say is high intensity. And and this is where I think the other misconception comes in is that people also often think if I'm doing a high intensity cardio class and I'm, and I'm thinking classes because that's often the case. Yeah. I'm, I'm burning calories because I'm sweating. If I'm sweating, I'm getting hot. Therefore I'm burning calories. A plus B equals C. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case because what's going to happen is you're going to have metabolic adaptation if you're stressing out the system too much. So if you're doing too much cardio, you're going to want to reduce that or too much high intensity cardio, you're going to want to reduce that. And I want to kind of touch up on what your week really kind of should look like in terms of your exercise plan. Mm -hmm. Three to five days a week of resistance training. Mm -hmm. So look at where you are now and figure, okay, what can I commit to 
Is it three days? Is it four days? Is it five days? I don't recommend generally doing more than five days a week. I think that that's excessive. The only times I've ever done six days a week of anything is when I was in contest prep. Outside of that, I've, I don't know, Nicole, have you ever done six days a week of, uh, of, of resistance training or weight training? No, never four or five max. So whoever you are, male or female, four to five days a week is sufficient. You can hit every muscle group. You can hit every muscle group multiple times. Mm -hmm. What I'll say is you want to split it up and probably hit muscle groups multiple times throughout the week. Mm -hmm. I'll say high intensity cardio, like we said earlier, is one to two days a week for high intensity. Uh, and that is, it is good for you. There are benefits. You have uh, development because it's an aerobic pathway. So you're looking at um, because, you know, mitochondria are used in the aerobic or the electron transport chain is used in aerobic activities. You have an increase in mitochondrial development and also an increase in mitochondrial function. And what that's going to do for you in the long run is that is going to increase the efficiency of you processing your body processing energy, right? Because if we remember anything about the mitochondria, it's the powerhouse of the cell electron transport chain. That's where uh, energy is, is produced. ATP is made, but if you're overdoing it, that's going to backfire on you. The other piece is high intensity cardio up to a certain point. We find that it's good for your mental health and it's good for brain function. So you're just going to feel better by doing that cardio. But like I said, if you're doing it too frequently, eventually that's going to catch up with you. So one to two days a week of high intensity cardio, and then the rest of your week should be maybe anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes of low intensity, steady state, just getting your walk in, mildly elevating your heart rate, but mm -hmm. really looking at zone maybe two of your, uh, of your, your cardio respiratory cardiovascular fitness. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about we've, well, we finished with cardio, so let's get to resistance training and talk about why that's important. All right. So like we talked about earlier is that basal metabolic rate. If you're building more muscle, you're going to have an increased basal me metabolism, right? So we already touched up on that. The other thing that I want to touch up on is from a bone density standpoint, for women, from a health standpoint, if you are building muscle, you're going to have stronger bones. There is nothing that I think compares to building muscle and eating adequate protein in terms of increasing bone density. Hands down. Yeah, that's the number one thing that women can do, especially if they are afraid of osteoporosis because, you know, it's hereditary in their family. Their mother mm -hmm. had it. Their grandma, grandmother had it. Their aunt had it like whoever in your family, whatever your family history is, hands down, there's nothing better that you can do for your bones Yeah, that will beat resistance training. If you, I mean, if you've ever had someone that has had any type of um, osteoporosis pain or discomfort and they lift, they do feel better. Is there pain associated with? Uh... Yeah. Or at least I have had that experience. Man, no, there's pain associated the with. Back. No, there's pain associated with breaking a bone when you've got a osteoporosis. <laughs> it can no they can it, it becomes like achy i had a um, ballet teacher that used to tell us if you have aches and pains that's a sign for your body to move not rest and aches and pains like uh, muscle soreness or stiffness and she would be like it's it's not a time to sit down and pretend like nothing's wrong you want to get up stretch move get warm create some resistance against that joint so that you can actually her words were work through well, I mean, I think part of that is the uh, ballerina mentality of push, push, push. 
No, it wasn't. Well, yes, yes, yes. Okay, fine. Fair. But it wasn't push, 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 like to hurt yourself. It was just to, to test out if it was something that really needed attention or if it really needed movement. Yeah. And listen, sometimes even injuries need movement. Like I know well, that if, if I sit around all day, my hips get tight and my lower back yeah. injury that I have that ends up being a nagging injury or, you know, it, it, you know, there are various different things that affect it. The other piece that I'll say in terms of women and doing resistance training is it's easier to maintain a low body fat. And I don't think people understand this enough. No, the people that can stay leaner all year round. Mm-hmm. First of all, they have a significant amount of muscle. Second of all, they probably like the, the women that I say that, that the eat that stay and they should put things in perspective for you. Mm-hmm. The women that stay lean or can stay lean year round are the ones with a significant amount of muscle and they're eating a significant amount of calories. Well, and protein, they don't drop below. Yeah. They're eating protein. protein, But I also want to emphasize the fact that you, we've got women staying lean, eating 2,500 plus calories. Oh yeah. They eat to feel good from a performance standpoint and a physique standpoint, not from a skinny standpoint. The other piece, Nicole, is we talk about increasing strength, which increases, it just builds a resilient body. I, I think if you're stronger and you're lifting weights and there's, there's some uh, data that will support this, that, you know, people who lift weights throughout the lifetime, they generally tend to live longer because they're stronger. Yeah. They're more yeah. resilient. Uh, and then allowing for progressions, increasing load volume and intensity is important when you're doing a bodybuilding or a resistance training program is that, I, and I've seen this often. I'm doing 15 pound dumbbells on a chest press. And I've been doing that for the last decade, like whatever (laughs) amount of time you've been doing it for, you need to have progressions in load volume and intensity over periods of time. Maybe not simultaneously. We don't ever really progress things simultaneously. Like I'm not going to increase the amount of weight that you're doing and the volume at the same time. We're going to do progressive overload and we're going to go through different cycles of your program. Um, we're going to have, what this is going to do is it's going to create micro stressors that increase resilience and strengthen your immune system and your muscles and your bones and your whole body. Like you are getting stronger and more resilient as a human being when you're doing resistance training. And like we talked about earlier with that hermetic response is that small stress inoculation to your immune system builds more resilient immunity. And Mm -hmm. That is something that that's why people that work out tend to get sick less often, right? Or people that do it correctly, they tend to get sick less often from two standpoints. One, they're feeding and nourishing their bodies and they're getting that nutrient density. And two, they're also creating that small stress on their body that's increasing their immune system over a period of time. Yeah. But you keep saying something that I want to just bring up and pull out of that, those statements. You keep saying small changes or intensity over time, keyword being over time, like a lot of the times women with resistance training go in, try and make all these changes that once go too hard, get it's too heavy. They get hurt. They don't feel good. They're not confident about it and they pull back. And if they take their time, work on their um, phases of strength and the ability to nourish and eat up over time, it takes years. It then slowly, slowly, they build into a healthier body, not just from a physique standpoint, but also so all the points you just brought up, being able to eat more, being able to be flexible and lean year round, being able to be strong, having a good immune system that you don't get that after of a three month program or six months that takes a couple years. 
listen, if you're new to exercise, you don't get anything really from a three month program. You get some foundational movements down. Right. And then you need and then you build and grow from there. I mean, I can't tell you how many times it's taken me three or four months or even six months in some cases, depending on how I guess naturally gifted. I think that there is some component where some people are a little bit more naturally gifted athletically than others Mm -hmm. and more naturally coordinated than others. Yeah. Uh, And for some people, it takes a little bit longer than others. But there is a learning curve in terms of, you know, we talk about when we're training, we talk about the neurological adaptations and the mind to muscle connection. Yeah. Right. You're looking at a neuromuscular connection that you are trying to create a groove in your brain to cue your body to do a certain movement. So if you go in to do an exercise and you're saying, okay, well, I want to do a squat and you're coming up on your toes or your knees are buckling, right? Yes, there are some imbalances that you want to fix. And I'm not really, listen, I'm the person that's going to give you some exercises to strengthen. Maybe you got to strengthen your uh, abductors if your knees are buckling in. Or maybe, you know, there are certain, there are certain exercises that we could do. Well, well, we need to strengthen your glutes. I'm the person that's more so going to say, well, if you want to learn how to squat, you need to squat. You have to develop that neurological connection. So to, to, and the reason why I bring that up is because to your point, Nicole, when you brought up, well, listen, it's not going to take three months. If you're new to exercise and you're new to the weight room, it's going to take you three to six months just to feel comfortable doing the exercises and to feel like your body's moving in a natural position that, that feels right. Right. So you're talking about movement patterns, being able to master the pattern and then create load and resistance against that pattern so that you develop strength in that movement pattern. It's like we talk about lunges. Everybody hates lunges. My knees hurt. My hips hurt. My back hurts. Everything hurts. It's probably ankle mobility, glute development, uh, core stability, inner and thigh, all the things that create the lunge is what you want to work on building. And then you can load the lunge. But again, that goes back to what you were saying about phases of training. I find that to be something that's a challenge when it comes to women in resistance training is they're impatient to get through the phases of training. They want to rush just to get to the next step instead of taking their time and building and focusing on the phase that they're in. They're already like three steps ahead. Well, what am I doing in three months? Don't worry about three months from now. Let's just focus on where you are right now. Yeah. And that, that goes with everything, right? You, if you look at your career, like where's my career going to be in three yeah. years? Well, can you focus on sitting down and doing the job that you need to do right now? Yeah. Um, and listen to your point, Nicole, in terms of the movement patterns, like we're talking about, there's a saying that you can't build, uh, you can't build fitness on dysfunction mm-hmm. and, or we don't build fitness on dysfunction. So dysfunctional movement patterns, I'm not, oh, well, when am I going to squat with weight? When am I not going to do a box squat? When am I not going to do a goblet squat? When you can squat efficiently in that movement pattern, then we can start loading that movement, right? I oftentimes see, I guess I see this with men because men tend to lift more with their egos than Mm -hmm. women do. Women, I think, tend to be more afraid the other way. Yeah, they're they're afraid afraid to progress Mm -hmm. where men want to progress all at once right away. But if your movement pattern is dysfunctional, how can I load that? I can't load that. You're going to get hurt. Mm hmm. And so, Nicole, let's move along in in this kind of continuation with women, though. Let's talk about the mental health aspect since we're talking about, okay, well, men are, you know, men are this way and women are are this way and they're more afraid. Um, Let's talk about the mental health aspect and the effects that it can have on you just as an individual in terms of your mindset shift. 
yeah, overcoming fear, becoming more competent, feeling better about um, accomplishing a task that you didn't think you could accomplish, goal setting, uh, all of the above, uh, even just increasing your awareness to how your body moves, it builds confidence, you feel better about the things that you're stepping into. And for females, listen, stepping onto the gym floor is intimidating enough. But to step on the gym floor and walk over and take a squat rack and feel confident in that in the gym on the squat rack is that's hard for women. It is. There's not a woman in the world that hasn't stepped out, looked out across the floor and been like, oh, there might be too many guys out there. Maybe I shouldn't get the squat, get on the squat rack or maybe I shouldn't go to the cable. I'll go to something that might be a little easier. You know, I think that the getting rid of the intimidation and fear of being on the gym floor and like walking out and being confident to take over the space, set yourself up and do your workout. That takes practice too. Like you have to actually work your muscles up in terms of your mindset that you deserve to be there. You can go out onto the fitness floor and make a mistake and not look stupid. Cause that's what I hear a lot with my, I don't want to look bad or have someone come up and correct me. So I think just confidence is a big piece. Well, here's the thing. Like even people that are regulars at the gym, some of them have no clue what they're doing. No, but people in the gym are judgmental as fuck. I like don't think can... so. I don't think oh, so. I, I disagree with you. I think that people in the You're gym. A guy. I think the gym is one of the most supportive environments. If well, listen, I'm not saying that there aren't supportive people in the gym. I'm just saying that women think that people are judgmental as fuck. So they are very hesitant to walk on the gym floor. And listen. You may be able to walk on the gym floor and not feel like people are judging you because you're big Cito. Yeah, but, but I wasn't. But out. wait, hold on. I'm going to stop you there. I wasn't always big Cito. And I walked no. on the gym floor and I did my thing and I made mistakes. Well, yeah, people, that's my and people point. came up to me and people came up to me and they were like, hey, why don't you try this? Listen, the, I when I met my best yes. friend, my best friend to date, the mm -hmm. way I met him was he came up to the skinny Daron in the <laughs> gym and he was like, Hey, let me help you. I was doing a bicep curl or something. And he corrected me. He's like, Hey, let me help you out with that. And we became best friends. Yeah. And that's also part of the process. And you talk about that supportive environment in that community. Listen, my best friend today yeah. is somebody from 20 years ago yeah. that I don't know, 20 years, yeah, almost 20 years, 19 years yeah. ago. Right. I yeah. met him when I was 17. I met him 19 years ago, man, I'm getting fucking old, but <laughs> I met him then and he corrected my form and that's I mean, listen, now roles are reversed and he calls me and he's like, hey, I'm at the supplement store. Like, what supplement do I get? Like, yeah. you know, and it's it's uh, it's a different or what exercises should I do for this and that? I mean, he's a doctor now and he calls me for this advice, but yeah. it's um, it can be supportive. And I do think there are people like your best friend that are supportive in the gym. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I am saying there are also the other side of that which are the flip to that is there are judgmental people. And that's why women get nervous because it does happen. Yeah. But I think this, I think from, if we're talking from a mental health standpoint, I think women or people in general, they tend to judge themselves and then assume that that's what everybody, everybody else is thinking th about yes. them. But yes. in reality, nobody's the, major <laughs> the majority of people in the gym they're worried about themselves and they're probably worried about those same things that you're worried about yes only they're worried about that about themselves so you know yeah. it, it, it's that confidence like you're talking about nicole the confidence mm -hmm. that you build in the gym is oh, i'm going to go in the gym i'm going to execute my workout routine and i'm going to do my thing and that's going to be it that's where you start to develop that 
Well, yeah. I'm, I just care about myself in the gym. I don't yeah. think about anybody else. I don't lift with my ego. I don't think about who's judging me. I'm just going to come in. I'm going to do my workout. I'm going to follow my plan. It's going to be structured and I'm going to execute and get the results that I need. And that confidence will lead into other areas of your life. If you become confident in the gym, I say this all the time is that one of the number one confidence boosters is fitness. And yeah, if you can absolutely. master that, and do well with that and feel good in your body and feel good in your skin, you can tackle anything. You can go to work. You can ask for a raise. You can find a job that's suitable for you. You can be in friend circles and you can say no to things when before you didn't feel comfortable saying no to things. It's really about getting out of your comfort zone in the gym. And that's a, kind of a, a, a painful part of the process. But here's the thing for the judgmental, even if it's your own on yourself, or there are people that come up to you that try and correct you that it, it is different for women when someone approaches you. It's not the same as just, hey, let me help you out. There's a whole nother layer to that. And it can make women feel really uncomfortable. And I think it's really important when we talk to women in resistance training that we empower them not only to be able to walk out, get their shit done and do their workout, but also to arm them with ways to communicate and talk to people so that they don't feel uncomfortable. You know, I've had multiple people, both men and women come up to me and ask me, do I want a spot? Those are really positive ways to, yeah, sure. I'd love a spot. Oh, what are you working on today? Like really kind to your point, the supportive people that are like, oh my God, I've noticed you've been working so hard. I just wanted to let you know, I, I see you and you're doing a great job. Those are the great ones. I think it's more feeling inadequate that makes it harder for women to speak up in a gym setting. So if I'm on the squat rack and I am not setting something up right and some guy comes over and says, you know, you're not even doing that right. Do you want some help? It's the way they approach you. No asshole. I don't want your help. I'll figure it out myself. There's, it's not a nice approach. And so arming women with the, and empowering them to have the dialogue. <laughs> that's my response to a guy like that. But I probably would say, no, thanks. I appreciate the help, but I got this and kind of shoo him on his way. But you have to be confident in, to be able to say that. Women can't even go out to dinner with other women and order what they want off the menu without feeling like other people, other women there are judging them on what they eat. If they eat an actual meal then and didn't don't order a salad. Okay. They're but, but here's the thing. Here's my point. All the women that I know that are really fit, they have no problem with any of that stuff. Well, that's what I'm trying to and, point and, out. And, and what I'll say, so what I'll say is this, is that you have to step outside of your comfort zone. You have to endure discomfort in order to grow in that space and build that confidence. There's Absolutely. no way around it in any situation. Men, women, I don't care who you are. If you're uncomfortable, that's a good place for you to be. Absolutely. And I want every woman that's listening to this podcast to know that I've been in some of those situations and I've spoken up and said my piece or kindly said thank you or really been appreciative of someone, you know, telling me I'm doing a good job that both can both positives and negatives will occur to your point. That's why it's uncomfortable and you have to experience them. But the more practice you have doing them to your point, Jerome, man, you start to feel so empowered. And then you also start to get to know the people in the gym. This is what we talk about all the time, where you kind of have your gym friend group, where if you're going in around the same time every night or morning, you start to see the same people and then you start to actually build more of a rapport with them. And it becomes a lot more fun because you have, that's the supportive environment that you're talking about. All right. So moving along, uh, the last couple of things that I want to talk about, and I'll kind of touch up on these things. 
I think it's important to develop a healthy mindset about the process rather than the destination. And if you don't enjoy the process, you need to find a way to enjoy the process. And if that means doing a group weightlifting class versus doing resistance training on your own, then so be it. You have to do things that you enjoy and you have to enjoy the process. It's not about the destination. And I think part of it, and I think this is a mental health piece too, is Mm -hmm. because I think we often endure things that we should not be enduring. And that includes job and career. And I see people in miserable jobs all the time and that's where they spend the majority of their day and they're not enjoying their process of their life. Mm -hmm. So I really do think that it's important for you to enjoy everything that you're doing. But specifically in this context, if you're doing exercise, you want to do exercises that you enjoy, but you want to also make sure that they're conducive to a long, healthy life. Um, The other piece that you get from doing resistance training is you start thinking about more instead of less, right? You start thinking about eating more and continuing to build instead of eating less and having that restrictive mindset. Mm -hmm. And you allow yourself to eat certain things and you can eat certain things and stay in shape because you've built all of this muscle. The other piece is you learn to, you know, what foods are more satiating and you learn about your hunger cues and you learn about satiety and you learn about your energy levels. And you understand the value of carbs because you're doing resistance training. And that's where carbs really count and where they're really super ultra important um, mm-hmm. because, you know, you're using a decent amount of carbohydrates when you're doing uh, resistance training, your brain and central nervous system. You start to understand, hey, my brain needs 130 grams of carbs just to function normally. And now I'm doing deadlifts and squats. And that's very taxing on my central nervous system, which also functions off of glucose. So maybe I need to start feeding myself a little bit more and you get an understanding for these things. And I think that also allows you to go in confidently and say, okay, well, I'm able to feed my body. I'm able to perform better. I'm starting to look at performance metrics and Mm -hmm. looking at how I'm improving myself as a whole. And I think that that is a very powerful part of the journey and process for you. And if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 